Welcome to Mind Over Matter, baby. I'm your host, Deja Wallace. And if this is your first time joining me, welcome. If this is not, welcome back. Thank you for joining me, listening to another episode. Shout out to you. I appreciate you. And let's get right into episode 53 of Mind Over Matter, baby. I have a very special guest in the building. I had to keep the year sophisticated for this episode because I have a Harvard alumni George, I want him to introduce himself because I feel like his vocabulary is up to par with what his introduction deserves. So go ahead and introduce yourself, George. I'm George Hansen, originally from the, the greatest country that God created the fastest people, Jamaica. Graduate of uh, Harvard Business School, undergrad Drexel University, graduate of Howard University School of Law. I'm an attorney and a certified public accountant, uh, boxing trainer, boxing writer for the past 10 years, I'm Philadelphia Boxing Writer of the Year. And in my spare time, I've been in a boxing gym, competed since I was 12, and I train boxers at a rec center and YouTube channel, Boxing 396, where I interview everybody. And I'm really passionate about boxing. Um, my oxygen live, sleep, and breathe boxing. So that's about it. Yeah. For taking the time out to even come on the podcast, I really appreciate it. And I just want to, like, get to know you more and, like, just, like, your experience at Harvard because I am a college student. So I just really am interested in, like, how is it being in one of the most prestigious schools in the country how was that experience for you my idea of harvard feels very competitive very like everybody's on edge everybody's worried every week feels like finals week you have a ton of work i don't know that's just my perception of like schools a little bit different um i don't think it's that way because every friday i found myself at a party on campus or off campus or I was in the clubs on Wednesday night in downtown Boston. So it depends on who you are. There were, there were people there who were just uptight. You get my point? But if you come prepared, you ever see LeBron James in a basketball game? Always relaxed. Have you ever seen uh, Pernell Whitaker in a fight? He's relaxed, right? Because you know you're prepared and you know you belong. So I was never by any means uptight. Oh, my God. I knew I belonged and I, I knew I had something to offer, period. So it was like, oh, my God, I'm at Harvard. It's Harvard. My philosophy when I went to Harvard is, is not that I'm happy to be at Harvard. Harvard is, is, is Harvard because they have me there and they have other people. And that's the way I felt. To me, it was quite simple. It, it was a great experience and it has its challenges also. But um, the business school, usually you, you're it's a separate campus from the undergrad. So usually in, in business school, you have a lot of older people um, who have had 10 years work experience. 
I went in, I got in it on deferred admission while I was a senior at Drexel University, meaning I had to work for two years. So when I arrived at Harvard, I was 23 going on 24. I was one of the youngest members of our class. So that experience, um, I had a ball. It wasn't anything intimidating or anything of that nature. Uh, there were some really great people, some really bright people. And to me, it was just fun. Um, the irony of it is I had been at Harvard uh, my junior year. After my junior year, I was in an organization called En-ROADS Philadelphia. It's an organization for talent minorities that provide you with internship, mentorship, and everything. So I went to work at PricewaterhouseCoopers straight out of high school as an En-ROADS intern. And during my junior year, I had the privilege of being selected by the En-ROADS director to send me to Harvard Summer Venture for a week with we have minority interns from all over the country. And I was on campus and um, taking classes for a whole week. And I just thought, man, this is cool. You get to do a case study and debate and go back and forth. So that's the reason I applied, because I, I met a professor, Professor Cash, African-American professor. I think he was in information technology. And I said, Professor Cash, this is so cool. I'd love to come. He said, apply. So I got an application and I applied. Wow. You make it seem like it's like a walk in the park because that school is very selective. I believe it's the most selective school in the country. So when you got that acceptance letter, how did that feel for you? Was I, how can I put it? I expected to get in. Um, I, I said, if I didn't get in, I was going to show up the two years later for my class that's entering since I was on deferred admission. I expected to get in. I, I, there's no point that I think I was not going to get in. I was at Drexel University. I had my mentor, Dr. Professor Elaine Delancey, the only tenured African-American professor. I met her freshman year and I was an accounting major and I took all these English classes. So I was a dual major. I have more credits in the English department than I do the accounting department. And we put a plan together on, on how I was going to get in. Um, there are 10 essays. Dr. Delancey said, George, we're going to work on it. And this is the strategy. We had a plan. We're going to write these 10 essays and she's going to review them. And we're not going to put them in a package until we, until I believe they're perfect. And that was Dr. Delancey. So it took me three months of rewriting and rewriting the essays. And then the other thing, you had to get three recommendations. And she said, George, whoever you get the recommendation, make sure you can see them, get a copy of what they're putting in the envelope, because if they're not all outstanding, don't send them, because the people you're competing against, they're going to have all outstanding. So I got a, I got a recommendation from my mentor, who ended up being my big brother. I ended up working for him, John Milligan. He was a manager, one of the only African-American managers at PricewaterhouseCoopers. John gave me all outstanding. So that went in. Uh, my professor, Dr. Delancey, all outstanding, plus she wrote a letter. I had two accounting professors 
one gave me all outstanding, Ken Harmon, um, one of the great, I had him for Costa County. On his recommendation, he said I was the best student he ever had in accounting. So that went in. Another professor checked all outstanding and one category checked very good. That one went in the trash. <laughs> and so all my recommendations said outstanding. And one from a professor said I was the best student he ever taught in accounting. So it went in. So we had a strategy. So I wasn't, it was great getting in, but it wasn't, I wasn't shocked. I, I knew I was going to get in. And then I got deferred admission, which is they normally don't accept you out of college. So 32 people that year got deferred admission, meaning I got in, but I had to get two years full-time work experience. Wow. So I love the fact that you said you already knew you were going to get in because this whole podcast is about mindset. It's about everything you do in life. It starts with the mindset you have. And when you go into something knowing that this is my plan A, I don't have a plan B, you basically your mind to not accept anything else. And a lot of people, I find myself doing this a lot. I give myself a plan B or like another option, but then that invites doubt. That invites just the idea that this may not work. So how important is mindset to you when it comes to being successful and going about the things you want to do? Uh, Mindset is critical for me. And and I'll go back. um, Not only the mindset, when I say mindset, you have to believe first. My my whole life was about faith. Um, I was raised by my grandparents who took me when I was eight months old. My Grandmother and grandfather were the two greatest human beings I've ever met on this planet. My grandmother had me reading early. My grandfather, I mean, I I tell people I was raised by Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. Those were distinguished people on the farm in Manchester, Jamaica. My grandmother made sure I read. My grandfather was so dignified. And these people had me believing that I could be anything. You get my point? I grew up on a farm with no running water or electric, but we had books. And we had, we do everything, family was around. So my level of self-confidence and faith is, um, there's nothing you can do to shatter my my belief in myself. That's beautiful. I feel like a lot of people my age are like very disconnected from the older generation and they look at their peers for just guidance. And... uh, (laughs) I feel like that can really hurt somebody like looking at somebody your age for guidance gives you a very limited perspective. And I feel like I see it a lot. Like people my age dismiss older people just because they don't understand a technology or something. And they feel like they can't relate to them just because they don't understand Instagram or something so mediocre they don't care to have a conversation. Can I, can I tell you something ironic? Mm-hmm. If I take your college friends, right, mm-hmm. and drop them in the Blue Mountains for a week, they would all get, and take away their technology, they all would starve. <laughs> they will go crazy. You know how smart are you, right? They'll go crazy. I, I was in a store 
about two years ago, and this man was bragging about his granddaughter or granddaughter that she was seven or whatever, and she could get on the iPod and all this other stuff at seven or eight years old, and she's so smart, right? Mm-hmm. At the age of eight years old, I knew how to survive in the woods. Mm-hmm. I knew how to trap I knew how to set a glue trap, right? I knew how to find certain things to eat so I could survive, right? I knew how to make a fire. How smart is this kid? Take away technology and get off the grid and we'll see how smart you are. You, Your generation can't survive one day in the woods without their, their iPad. So how good are we? And, and going back to your point, um, I've always been around older people, like my grandfather's friends. And I sit and I listen to them. And that's how you you learn a lot. You gain a lot of wisdom. I love talking to older people because it's experience. But um, you look at the generation now, a young person getting guidance from another young person who have not seen or experienced anything is like Ray Charles in a car with Stevie Wonder. I'm not saying anything bad to the blind because Stevie made this joke himself or Ray Charles in the movie. So um, where are you going to go? Mm. It's, it's so true because it's like you, they feel like they've experienced so much just because they have so much information, but just because you have the information, it's different than the actual experience because there's different variables that come when you're actually living something in real life time. And just because like, it's basically like information overload. So they get lazy and they don't want to try actually going out and doing or living because they feel like, oh, I got this information, so I'm good. I don't have to go ask or don't have to actually look further into it, which is very kind of like sad to see. I was brought up, was very comfortable, very comforting. I didn't really have to go out of my way to, I was very comfortable in my way of living. And I feel like compared to your upbringing, it has a lot of like adversity. I think it will be have more adversity coming up. So I feel like sometimes that adversity makes you more resilient when it comes to like college and like trying to exceed. So how do you feel like your upbringing played a role in just your determination and your grit and your drive. I'll tell people this, right? I don't know what hard times or adversity is. And, and I'm going to say this. People think because you grew up in Jamaica on a farm with no running water electric that you had adversity. You don't really need those things. You get my point? We had a well. We had all the fresh fruit we needed. We didn't. We had a kerosene lamp. It's no adversity. When you grow up, these are not adversity. Things we had... We had all the food. We had a mountain behind our house. We had all this land in which to wander through through nature. Um, if I needed food, I, I just go down and pick it. We had a whole acre of mangoes. We had every single thing. So for me, I, I will say this. I had zero adversity. I, I grew up in an environment where I, I thought I was a prince or somebody. My grandfather was re- well respected. My entire family was with me on that farm or within walking distance. So when you don't, it depends on how you look at life. Did we need electric? No, we didn't need it. Did I have my grandparents there? Yes. Did we have uh, newspapers and books to read? Yes. Did the entire family eat together? Yes. 
Um, so it, it depends on how you look at things. I had Z, I think I had the best childhood of anybody humanly possible. You, you get my point? I could wander through the mountains and through the woods. I had my entire family sitting there at lunch, at dinner, we working on the farm. I need so no, I I had zero adversity. I had a very easy life, but it's a life that was based on my grandparents instilling in me that you can do anything. You can do anything. You can absolutely do anything. And the fact that they got me interested in reading early and the fact that my grandfather was the founder of the school that I went to, it just resonated with me that I had to do well. So, wow, it's all about perspective, really, because you looked at your situation as a blessing and you looked at it and you looked at the good and everything. So that's really what I'm like, that that comes from your life is good. When you look for good, that's what comes ultimately. Yeah, I I didn't know hardship till I arrived in this country at 11 years old. Mm. Uh, Adversity. I feel sorry for the people that didn't grow up the way I did. I I grew up where I woke up at five o'clock to see my grandfather milking the cows, right? I grew up, my grandmother sent me to the chicken coop to get eggs so we can cook them for breakfast. I grew up with my grandmother going to the garden to get something to cook. If we needed a chicken for Sunday dinner, we went and we killed one, right? I grew up, being able to walk for three miles through the woods or whatever and see my neighbors and knowing all my neighbors respecting my grandfather. I grew up with my entire life growing up in that time until by the time I was a teenager, there was only one murder. Mm. And that was a police killing somebody, right? So none of that happened. I grew up with our doors open, right? Nobody stealing from us. I grew up where we shared and we traded together, right? I feel sorry for all my friends who grew up in this concrete jungle. You can my- I can argue and say, like, I feel very equal to you when it comes in, uh, about my upbringing, because I feel like I had the best childhood ever because my dad kind of sounds like you when he talks about his childhood, like, you know, the mountains, family being around 24 seven. Nobody really was. Like if somebody wanted to take a day off, they could take a day off. It wasn't really that fussy because that's the difference between like people, pessimistic people and optimistic people. Because a lot of people, they can do something, but they feel like they have to do it. And that's the difference between that like mindset is like some people feel like they have to do things. But I feel like I get to do things like I have the opportunity to do things because I've, I'm so blessed to be brought up in this so it's quote unquote concrete jungle. And a lot of people bash like just the unnatural, un- unnaturalness of being brought up in a place like New York City. But I see so much beauty in it, too, because it builds a lot of character, a lot of just grit. And that builds you for like the real world. Now, I feel like anywhere I go, if you make it here, you can make it anywhere. And I really, truly feel like that. I feel like it's all a mindset thing. And I didn't mean to say adversity like, oh, Jamaica is a third world country. I'm not trying to feed into that rhetoric because a lot of people 
only know about Jamaica based on, you know, the media. So I'm, I'm not trying to feed into that rhetoric. No, I understand. I, I, I try to tell people, I said, my God, I, I felt sorry, feel sorry for people here. I mean, I need some food. I got to go to the supermarket. We grew all our food. Uh, everyone, we all were self-employed. My grandfather, no one had a job except my aunt when she was a school teacher. But I had everything around me. And a person who loved nature and respect nature, I'm glad that I grew up the way I did. Um, because it, it's it's about nature and being at peace with nature. I feel bad for the people who grew up uh, absent of nature, not growing up in nature. And, you know, I, I, your neighbor is so next door to you, they flush their toilet, you hear it. Um, there's a, 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 a hill or the next neighbor for us was you had to walk through the hills to get to the next neighbor. So you just, I love being in open spaces, having trees. For sure. And I could understand that because that's what you're used to. Mm-hmm. And that's what you've been brought up on. And I feel like there's also good that, um, I don't know, as a whole, New York City isn't very good for your mental health, especially living here for a long period of time. It can feel very like encapsulating, like a cage, very um, almost robotic. Uh, but I feel like as a child growing up in the city, it gives you this kind of feeling that anything can happen, like in a good way, because I feel like your imagination is running wild. Like I was taking the train, not the train, the bus to public transportation at the age of 10, you know? So I was on a bus with my friends. Like it's a different kind of fun, I guess that I had growing up here. And like I said, it's all about mindset. I really enjoyed, you know, being around, playing on the block, hanging out on the stoop all day until the lights come on and then my mom called me inside. You know, real, like, wholesome things I did as a child that I appreciate. And I feel like with the emergence of technology, a lot of that New York City culture, especially during the summertime, is kind of like extinct now and it doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of sad to see. So which makes me like appreciate going to Jamaica and just reconnecting with nature. Um, But it's all a mindset thing, like I said before, Uh, um, because I feel like there's people that had a horrible experience being brought up in Jamaica. Not everybody had a great experience being brought up in Jamaica just because they were surrounded by nature, you know? All have the choice to paint the picture of our life we want to paint, you know? George, very refreshing conversation. I needed Thank you for listening to another episode. And make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend, moms, that it's mine over matter, baby.